1: Hey guys, it's Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, where you can find podcast interviews, content on a variety of subjects, including football, mental health, serial killers, our film and TV podcast series, uh, conspiracy theories, wrestling and music, plus more. Uh, you'll find today's guest all over Fightful.com. He is the managing editor, the man with the second best hair to ever appear on Fightful Select the man bringing real legitimacy to wrestling journalism, and non-stop working machine, the one and only Sean Ross Sai. Welcome, Sean. Who is Sai? Who is that? <laughs> Do you know,
0: the, um... I only so, know who yeah. you are not. I don't know who you <laughs> want. I know who you are not. You are not Jason.
1: Hey, the, um... Well, A couple of my friends asked me the other day, they were like, Why do these guys from Fightful keep calling you Jason? And they were like, If they got your name, they legitimately thought like, that they were getting my name wrong.
0: So it was, <laughs> well,
1: it's, it's spreading, it's spreading into real life. And uh, like at one point, I had my kids calling me as well, which was quite amusing. So every now and again, I just uh, send Melissa a little message, just a reminder never let her live it down.
0: Yes. Yes, uh, well, I mean, now now we have been formally introduced via podcast, even though we have done multiple together (laughs) with you as, under your alias, Not Jason.
1: Indeed. It's gotta go by the, gotta go by the shoot name
0: now. It's like switching between Wild Bill Irwin and The Goon. You're one and the same, but you're not the same. No, absolutely not. The, um...
1: Yeah, it's a weird one because I still get people when I, I've messaged people about coming on and uh, quite often they'll just they must just glance at my profile and they'll say they'll write their message and then they'll address it to Jason. <laughs> so it's like even people who they just do exactly the same thing as what Melissa did. So I never correct them. I just I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's funny. It's good stuff. Um okay. So, before we get into the pro graps and the journalism and the bits and pieces, um, a while back I was watching uh, a FIFO podcast. It was quite a while, probably over a year now, maybe mm-hmm. even two. And uh, you, had, you had mentioned that you had ADHD, which was a surprise yeah. to me at the time. Uh, my son had not long been diagnosed himself. We were, was having, He was having some issues in school. We were very new to it. We'd never. You know, we, the only people we knew sort of to talk to about it was the doctors and the nurses, uh, like now I'm where I've done the podcasts on it. I've spoken to lots of different people who've got it and this and that. So I'd never spoken to you or interacted with you, like other than maybe a couple of tweets about wrestling or whatever. Mm. Um, and I sent you a DM explaining the situation, asked if you had any advice, not really expecting a reply cause you've got like thousands, tens of thousands of followers and whatever, Um, and you replied not just to reply you replied in detail you we had a little chat about it and i really respected that and i was so grateful because at that point i was kind of struggling with it so i really appreciated that little just you taking the time to reply
0: of course i I mean i i don't talk about my adhd a lot because it's it used to be, I don't know if I would consider it a crutch. I don't know what I would consider it because I, I battled it in my youth. And I mean battled it really, really hard. Uh, when I had great teachers, i they they found a way to harness it and maximize it. And it got to the point to where, I i don't know, I would be a little bit antisocial with it. I would stay in during recess, get my work done, and then I would have all my time at home to myself. Uh, and I didn't have that much of a trouble—much trouble with it. I think in the later years when I was in middle school and high school and I wasn't as interested in schoolwork, I I feel like I personally used it as an excuse or a crutch sometimes to act out or something like that. Or maybe it was just the way that I... It's hard to really look back on that and, and remember because I was I was on Ritalin, man. And Ritalin, I wouldn't want anyone on Ritalin. It, it stunted my growth. I couldn't play sports at that age, which... I think sports would have been far, far more integral to my growth uh, in, in adapting to using ADA or using ADHD for good than Ritalin would have been. And it wasn't something that I blame uh, on my parents or anything like that. That's just what people did back then. And in, in the later years, I tried, I think, Adderall or Stratera to kind of manage it. Now I just don't take anything. Now I'm like, you know what, if I want to do... 200 things at once. I'm going to do that. And that's literally what led to me becoming so successful in my career. I do not think that if I, if I didn't have ADHD, I don't think I would be where I am now in, in, in this. And I mean, occasionally that, that it does lead to some issues. It leads to some complications, but it also leads to me being able to write, edit, podcast, um set up things sell advertising space do a lot of stuff like that simultaneously and not completely forget what I'm doing um I'm able to use it as a benefit instead of a detriment now and uh, there are plenty of things that that happened to me as a result that were detriments but I don't necessarily look at it that way now
1: yeah I think it's I th- I I think it's really cool that in you know a lot of ways it seems like a you know, helps you with your your work and stuff. Like, um, I was so against giving my son medication, and mm-hmm. I like I really well for well over nearly two years. I was like, I don't want to give it to him. He's twelve. I don't think he needs it. But he was having more and more issues in the school. Yeah. So I sort of when I spoke to the doctor, and they sort of explained that they don't really use Ritalin, which was like. You know yes. that was the main issue I had, um, and I and I spoke to you about Ritalin specifically. Um, and then once he started taking, um, he takes Zagatin now, I don't, it's probably called something else in the US, but yeah, he it is change, it from, changes
0: so often that it's hard for me to even keep track. People will, like I said, like you did, like people that I went to school with that remember that I was on Ritalin will ask me for advice, and I say, Hey, I haven't medicated in 16 years, I don't think. Probably 17 years at this point.
1: Yeah, and I think, like, to be honest with you, I feel a bit guilty because I fought against giving him medication for so long. And then when he started taking the medication, he has gone from having trouble every day to now being in the top sets of everything and excelling in his education and excelling in his sports. So... It's almost like I feel like that bit of guilt for, as if I deprived him of two years. But, you know, it's different for everybody, isn't it? What, what works for one person might not work for, you know, for someone else. Um, I'm just hopeful that perhaps when he gets to sort of 17, 18, maybe he can step away from the medication side of it. But, you know, that'll be uh, on him.
0: Yeah. Did you, that... um... Go on. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, did you encounter like any ignorance towards it in school and stuff?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I but see. The thing is, I was incredibly hyperactive. I had ADHD. And let me tell you, man, like if I was able to apply that to track and field a little bit earlier than than what I did, or if there was a wrestling team or anything like that, despite my size, that's what weight divisions were for. That would have helped. But back then I the thing is when I was younger I wanted attention if I got the attention then that I get now my god I don't know how I don't know how it would have ended up I don't know if that would have been positive or negative but I wanted attention so badly and I wanted to fit in so badly and the thing is I did I had a lot of friends I got along with people that wasn't the issue but at that point ADHD makes you think so many different things it makes you insecure. It makes you uh, overconfident at times. You go back and forth between all these different different things. So yeah, I, I experienced quite a bit of that uh, all the way up until really I graduated. And then, then there really wasn't any of it. And it isn't like I'm dealing with a whole new set of people either. I've lived within 30 minutes of my hometown my entire life. So I still know all the same people. It's just, yeah, I, I don't deal with nearly as much of that now. I ADHD, like so many other things, it seemed like an outlier back then, but it really wasn't. A lot of people had it, they just didn't know they had it, or maybe they had another form of it. It's it's something that I put in the rear view, the, the negativity associated with it, because it brought me so much positivity.
1: Yeah, and I think that's it's a great way to look at it, and it, I think as is with anything, isn't it, whether it's um, like an illness or anything in life, mistakes, positives. If you can turn them into something positive in your life, then there's a good chance that you're going to get the positive from it. Um, So let's move towards your fine work as a wrestling journalist, MMA journalist, managing editor of Fightful.com. Obviously, you were at Wrestling Inc. before Fightful, pop culture as well. Um, Where else did you work before sort of Fightful, Wrestling Inc., what culture?
0: I worked for Bill Apter at one wrestling.com, which is very much an internship thing. I remember uh, it was ahead of January 4th, 2010, which a lot of you may remember that's the night that Bret Hart came back to WWE. And it was the night that TNA went head-to-head with Raw on Mondays. And I, honestly, that was a dark period of WWE for me. I thought... From like 2006 to 2011, it was just real rough. There were some positive points. And from about 2005 to 2009, I was just head over heels for TNA Wrestling. I thought it was the best show there was. I loved it. And then there was this just really dark period ahead of then where I was like, man, do I want to do this? And you got to remember, that was also an MMA boom. And I thought I was going to be a pro MMA fighter at like pff, 24, 25. Not a lot of people are getting into pro amateur MMA at 25, then later succeeding, uh, especially with the lack of athletic background that I had. So I was more into MMA, and I pitched him a column saying, oh, I want to write this column, and if I'm not in love with wrestling again by WrestleMania, I'll give it up. And he was like, yeah, I love it. Let's do it. I don't think I ever really wanted to give wrestling up, and I didn't. But after the conclusion of that column, he was like, hey... I see that you train in MMA. I see that you do a lot of this stuff. You should stay on as my MMA guy. So I floated around with that for a few years, I think from 2010 to 2014. And then in 2014, I was like having an existential crisis. Like I was nearing 30 years old and I was like, what am I doing? I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to wrestle. My neck can't handle that. I got to do something. And I started to work at Fan which was a property of Sports Illustrated at the time. Met great people like Mike Dice, who, who were there. Left there for uh, What Culture, actually, which was an absolutely brutal and miserable experience. And uh, it was just, it went from fan-sided What Culture, a place called Rant Sports, very briefly, and then uh, Wrestling Inc. And I had a personal blog in the meantime called Cage Passion Sports, where I would write sports, wrestling, MMA. And it was uh, primarily a selling point for a local MMA promotion where they would basically give me an area to do whatever it is that I wanted and launch some samples. So it was a little bit of everywhere, but I didn't make it a career until Wrestling Inc.
1: Yeah, and what I like about the way that you conduct yourself when you're writing stories and articles is that you make it very clear that you – if you can't verify it with several sources, then you likely – won't run it or you won't confirm yeah. it as information. Um, and in a world where there's so many bad, I suppose not just wrestling journalists, journalists with social media and stuff, there's a lot of bad journalism generally. But like wrestling uh, media, If you like if you were a guy just coming in looking for wrestling news and you don't know who's good, who's bad, you can easily get sucked into these yeah. uh, you know these Twitter, Twitter Twitter accounts who've got thousands of followers so you automatically oh, would you, think oh yeah they, they they know what they're talking about and well a lot, direct- of, a lot of those
0: clickbait sites buy those Twitter accounts they build up a natural following and I mean hey that's a good market to get into if somebody wants to make a few thousand quick well not quick bucks it's not easy to make those Twitter followers uh, up here but if you get 30 40,000 followers, then you're going to have a clickbait site that comes to you and says, "Hey, we'll buy this for you for a few thousand dollars." <laughs> and that's what they do Gee, and then they I turn know. it into to their things. I mean, that's something that we had looked into and I was like, "I don't really want to do that. I don't I would rather build up ours organically and and I mean, maybe we will in the future, but the thing is people will know (laughs) it'll it'll be marked as such, it'll be marked as like fightful news or something.
1: Yeah. And I think it's different for sort of for people who are not aware, it can be difficult to sort of sort through what's legitimate journalism or what's legitimately sourced stories and what's not. Um, I'm not going to name the people who uh, are not because I don't want to give them the publicity. But I like that Fightful is trying to, and it's succeeding, in bringing that bit of integrity to the, to the wrestling media industry. Because, you know, years back, real journalism was properly sourced and researched, and I feel like that's almost becoming a lost art in all aspects of media and journalism. Um, so I'm really, I'm really happy to see it coming back. Um, and even like Dave Meltzer, who I greatly respect, especially as a, like a historian and I still subscribe to the observer. Um, but sometimes I find it difficult to sort of differentiate between what's his opinion and what he's saying is sort of information or fact, if you like. Um, and I think that contributes a lot to the amount of, uh, like trolling and abuse he gets oh, yeah. because people find it difficult, don't they? to sort of work out what is his opinion and what's
0: well i I think some of that does fall on him you have to decipher that that's why i had i i didn't understand how difficult it was for him because i don't have the level of notoriety or recognition that he has i have about 10 percent of the followers that he has so i had to put on my twitter not everything i post on twitter is a report because I started to get people who would take joking tweets of mine and turn them into reports as if I was actually reporting them. For Dave, that doesn't happen as much. It's more of what's in his newsletter. And he will sometimes editorialize on something. And I think that he could do a better job separating that. I really do. And uh, But the thing is, he's done it for so long that way that I don't know if – maybe it's not an understanding thing. Maybe it's a, he's just like, you know, what I'm doing is working, whatever. But, you know, I – His interactions on Twitter have taught me to interact with people a little bit differently on Twitter, too. Occasionally, I'll zing somebody, but I'll have people that will say, hey, that Twitter account just got started last month. Don't even argue with them. And I'm like, okay. But my thing is, I believe that most anybody is worthy of having their opinion heard. Like, I don't think that because somebody's got like five or ten followers, they shouldn't have their opinion valued or heard or anything Mm -hmm. like that. I may zing them if they're being a dick to me. Yeah. And I'll be like, you have five followers and three of them are bots, but that doesn't mean I value their opinion any less, unless they're a dick. But um, yeah, it, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, thing to really approach for Dave, I think, because he's had a newsletter for so long, and people would have to physically write him if they had an issue with his stories before then. Yeah. So I mean. And that was decades and decades of stuff. So Dave is still just great at what he does. It's just, I think a lot of people can't decipher or they don't bother to go behind the paywall mm. to see what he actually wrote
1: or yeah. said. Well, it's funny you should say that. So I had a little tiny taste of what your Twitter life is like. When uh, we did our last sort of fight Books It show and we booked a WrestleMania card and you put Ooh. up the card on Twitter and you tagged me. And within minutes, people were all up in your shit. And just like 90% hadn't even listened to the show and the reasoning behind it. It was just abuse and just this. Oh, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. Blah, blah, blah. Ember Moon's not going to be back. Of course you <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: people, people had the balls to come on there and say, Ember Moon's not going to be back for eight months. She won't be back from that elbow injury. And I'm like, what? What happened? Did she get her elbow amputated? I've not known of an elbow injury outside of if you tear a tricep, sometimes your elbow will swell up, and that will lead you out for that long. But I'm like, what makes you all think that she's going to miss that much time with an elbow injury? And she was backed by WrestleMania, as we speculated. Hot dog. Yeah. Hot dog.
1: Um, it, it was eye-opening, to just that little tiny peek into your – sort of Twitter life, um, just because it was straight away, and I was like, wow. Don't know if I could deal with this uh, every day. Do you find it difficult to deal with like the trolling, or is it just a case of have a bit of fun with it, block, move on?
0: Sometimes, because... I've said this on our show before. I live in a town of 200 people, and if somebody doesn't like you, then something has gone terribly wrong in that town, because... It's just the way it is. But now, I, on any given day, I will get between I think seven hundred and fifty to one thousand tweets, DMs, emails, text messages, snaps, anything. Like, uh, like I'll get I think about twenty thousand mentions a month on Twitter is what the what our little stats say. So beyond that, I got I'm fielding DMs. I, I'm running a team the whole time too some of that can wear on you so yeah i mean I, I anybody who enjoys being disliked genuinely i don't quite understand them i would love it if everybody liked me and if everybody saw me as yeah. the as as a definitive source of pro wrestling news but some people just don't trust and some people just don't like it there are some people that i, I where i can tell that they won't be able to be talked into anything otherwise that is, Then I don't pay them any mind. I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, If they're completely ignorant or they're a bigot, then I'll let people know that they're stupid and probably get them kicked off Twitter. Uh, If it's somebody that I think is just maybe has the wrong idea of me, a lot of times I'll reach out and I'll be like, why are you being a dick to a stranger? Or why are you this upset? It's, It's wrestling. So, I mean, it does bother me sometimes, yeah.
1: Yeah, it must be, it must be difficult. I suppose, I suppose if you can have fun with it a bit, it can probably help with dealing with that. Like if you take it a bit too seriously or you take it to heart. Because some people, I think, you know, a lot of people on Twitter, they just go they're looking for that reaction and they, you could see their accounts. They're just tweeting sort of well-known people or celebrities or they're in these sort of threads and they'll say dumb shit just to get a reaction so i guess you're trying to just sort through them and the people like you say have just got the uh the wrong impression i suppose but i mean yeah yeah so what's the weirdest re- interaction you ever had on twitter or social media with a stranger
0: okay so when i made a snapchat years ago i didn't uh I didn't anticipate that I would have the following that I have now. So I used my real name. And that was a mistake because people, before I made it public, people would just guess and add me. A good five or six months after we let Vince Russo go from Fightful, I'm doing a show on a Monday and I get a snap and it's from somebody I don't know. And I open it up and it's a giant dick pic. And, it's, and I don't know what, what, the, what the level of cursing is allowed on this show. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I know. You go on, you crack on.
0: But the caption said, Fuck Vince Russo! <laughs> and to, to which I replied, I don't think you're going to have much trouble with that, with that thing. <laughs> and then I blocked him. I had not worked with Vince Russo in six months. <laughs> so That's that so was... Weird. That was immensely confusing to me. Um, myself and one of my writers that used to write for me had people try to extort us. Like, Jesus that would, yeah, I've had people reach out to my wife and, like, threaten her over me advertising on it. Like, I've had a lot of real weird, odd stuff. I think there was a, a Reddit thing where I think she got – I don't want to say. I don't know if it was a death threat or just a violent threat or something, but it was very odd. Like you get those types of people every once in a while. And I had a guy who actually writes who said he was going to beat me up at Survivor Series, and I'm like, "You come into my house because I'm not going to Survivor Series? Like, what's uh-huh. going on here? It's it's wild, man. Um, there have been some pretty weird situations. There was one guy who. I think he he wanted to fight me and then like people that knew him crowdfunded like $8,000 Canadian to try to make it happen and he wouldn't do, I'm like, my God. And I mean, the thing is I was like, okay, $8,000. I was messaging the guy like, Hey, let's work this. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's work a match here. Let's split some money. I've had some super weird stuff. So And that's with me not interacting back to a lot of these things. Like, uh, the last one I did because it was funny, but that was years ago. That was before Fightful. But those are exceptionally odd situations. Like, people that think that they can extort wrestling writers because they have, like, some amount of money or they have something. hate to tell you guys, I live in a $57,000 house in a city of 200. It doesn't work that way. But other than that, uh, and see, that, that makes me a little hesitant to open up to people, but then I had the experiences like I had in Las Vegas which were all positive and there are so many awesome people I'm like, alright, whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, most of them are quite funny. Like, obviously the ones with your your wife is a bit, a bit odd and a bit scary but I mean, you know, people unfortunately seem to think that they can uh, they could just say whatever the fuck they want on Twitter with no uh, you know, no comeback, no nothing. They, and you see them all the time saying crazy shit, offensive shit, and oh, then yeah. they're off Twitter and never there again.
0: Yeah, I don't like uh, when people get oddly personal over stuff. Just, I mean, yeah. if you don't like my wrestling opinion, you don't like my wrestling opinion. You can say, I don't agree with that opinion, or that's a dumb tweet. I'm okay with if you if you call my tweet dumb, but I'll leave the personal stuff out of it.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's like wrestling. It's like it makes no sense whatsoever to get so angry.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's it's it's unnecessary.
1: Yeah. So uh, so Feifel's grown massively, massively over the you know the couple of years uh, since you've been going. Uh, what do you think was the has been the key to the growth in such a short space of time?
0: Well, I think our growth has been just so immense over the last year because i i hired the right team before it was me doing news it was me doing podcasts it was me doing everything and i would have an assistant that an assistant editor to help me in the last year bringing on jeremy and andrew that has opened me up we decided to instead invest in, in investing in popular or popular wrestling personalities i was like i want to invest in the staff i want to get two full-time writers and that has, that's the reason I can do this show right now because I wasn't able to before a month ago uh, because I was still doing so much news writing. And that has opened me up to get more exclusives. Uh, it helps the fact that Jeremy and Andrew go out and do that as well. Uh, we've had a lot – like a lot of people don't get crossover content. I think that's important. But I, ultimately, I think it boils down to we have the best news writing, period – We have the best aggregation period, and by that I mean we do it responsibly, and we use our headlines in a way that isn't misleading, but still makes people want to click. And I think we have, without a doubt, the best post-show podcasts. I think we have those across the board. uh, Best for NXT, best for Raw, best for SmackDown, best for pay-per-views. I think our live shows after Ring of Honor and AEW are the best that are out there as well. And uh, I think that that has has led to it and the access that we've given and transparency i try to be as honest with my with my audience as possible and i encourage andrew and jeremy to do that they're a little more uh i think they're a little more i don't want to say hidden what what they're a little bit more reclusive right now than i am because i've I've embraced it a little bit more but they'll, they'll get there i'm sure but uh I, I want to be as honest with my audience as I possibly can. And I want them to know that I can't be bought. Uh, my team can't be bought. And we're, we're here to inform them and to learn ourselves. And I think that's been the biggest part. And we have somebody like Jimmy Van. This isn't his number one money thing. Like if we break even, he's thrilled. He just wants to see wrestling journalism uh, go beyond what it was.
1: Yeah, and I think that's it, And it? It, it because <clears throat> it's clear that you two are so passionate about it, um, and one of the reasons that I plug com all the time is, like, I see you two at the top, and then I see the guys that you've assembled over the last couple of years, and I mean, even, you know, at the start, where you started the podcast, and you had, like, the Shake Them Ropes guys, and Anna Bauer, and yeah. you've got Kyler on the socials, and James Lynch, and then when those guys, like, you know, like when Matt Riddle went to WWE so he could no longer do the podcasts, you yeah. fill in. When those people go on to sort of whatever they go on to, you fill in with, better, you know, just as good people. And, I mean, I got, like I say, Andrew Thompson came on the podcast last week, and we had a whale of a time. He was really cool. Like he's great. speaking to him, he's a good guy.
0: Yeah, he's great in... And- a lot of these people, like Andrew started out and he was just writing, I want my, my team to be as versatile as possible. I want them to write news. I want them to do podcasts. I want them to do interviews both on the phone and in person. I want them to be comfortable in the media calls. Because today, in media, you have to be able to do all that. Very, very rarely can you get by doing just one thing. Uh, with the exception of podcasting, I've noticed that if you're an exceptional podcaster – or an on-screen personality, you can usually get away with just doing that. But as we've seen, Anna Bauer is an outstanding podcaster and an outstanding on-screen personality. But we weren't able to like make her numbers quite explode like what culture? So sometimes you just got to step out. Fortunately for Anna, it's worked out for her and she's doing a lot of other stuff in wrestling. Uh, a lot of things you just got to throw out there and see if it sticks. And fortunately, I've got guys that are willing to do that. They're willing to go out and get exclusives on their own. And that is a big, big key to our success as well. It's not just me. There are people who can't stand me, but they like Jeremy and they like Andrew. And I think that's very important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, uh, Jeremy's going to come on my show as well at some point, And uh, about it as well. So there we go. Yeah. has got pretty much going for the whole team. Get them all on. It's like been it. like it feels like you like you're batting thousands. I'm not even sure if that's the right uh, expression because uh, don't have baseball here. But it, like it doesn't seem like you've made many mistakes in terms of who you've uh, you know who you've picked for podcasts for writing. It doesn't seem like there's been many sort of missteps. You know, I'm sure there's stuff behind the scenes where maybe things haven't gone to plan or whatever. But where, when it comes to filling your team, it seems, from public perception, that you've got it right, really, most of the time.
0: Yeah, um, very rarely. I mean, there have been a couple of stories that were fed to me. I basically caught a WWE plant trying to feed me information earlier this year. Nixed it, flushed it out, and I know for a fact that plant is feeding somebody else bad information right now. Uh, but... After that, like the thing is, they would feed me information that was very odd, and I would check it and my sources because I've got like a dozen of them if, if, if and that's on the low side. That was like the last time one I think Jimmy or somebody was like, "How many do you have?" And I was like, I think like 12 or 13. now it's probably like 15 or 16 different sources that I can reach out to about anything on, on a daily basis. And that goes a long way too. Uh, it is our job to get information, help figure out if it's right or wrong, and then disseminate it accordingly. And that's a thing. it's okay If somebody gives me some information that isn't correct, I'm not going to completely excommunicate them, but i 'll sure as hell vet them heavily from there on out because there is no benefit, no long term benefit in wrestling media to giving false information. Because you will get figured out, and you will have no longevity, and you will not be able to make a career doing this.
1: Yeah, and I think um, like when like we mentioned earlier, all these different sites on Twitter and stuff—they just come out with some crazy stuff, and it's click—you know—it's clickbaity. It's just to get clicks. But ultimately, once you go down that route of clickbait, one, two stories after you know you're any sort of legitimacy or trust that the viewer or the reader might have is gone and it's going to be very very difficult to to, you know to recover that and I think that's one thing that Fightful's done very well is that people trust you because they know you vet it heavily you get it from several sources so you know Sometimes I've noticed there's, I'm trying to think of an example, but maybe a story will break and fight for maybe they'll report, like if the observer or someone says about it, but you won't come out with your own report straight away until you've gone and found out for yourself. And that's that's, another thing which I, you know, just got to be done.
0: Yeah, that's usually what we, uh, what we try to do we want to be as accurate as possible that that's the thing sometimes it's it's not possible uh but we we try to do as as really as good as we can
1: indeed so when um you've been filling the the team and the you know the different positions over the last few years have you had any uh, like weird applications or like strange interactions with people like sort of looking for the jobs and stuff. I'm not, not saying you should name them, but like, just Oh yeah. Any I,
0: sort of strange stuff. I wouldn't specifically remember the name. Uh, there were a couple that stood out to me. There was one where a guy said, Hey, do you know any company that's willing to give a guy a chance? And I'm like, on what? He said anything. And I said, you need content. That's the thing. We're not coming to get you. You got to beat the doors down. You got to create content, whatever it is that you want to do. You need to create that content on your own and have samples. Then I had a guy um, on the MMA side of things. He reached out to us. He does TMZ style approaching people on the street, getting a few quick words with them. He does well, he gets actually some pretty good stuff. But uh, he reached out to us about work, and I said, You know what? We'll give it a shot. Why not? And he kept on asking to talk to me on the phone, and I was like, Hey, listen. When negotiating this stuff, I prefer to do it uh, via email, via direct message. That way I can keep a hard copy, keep a record of it. That way there's nothing misconstrued, uh, nothing taken out of context, nothing like that, whether it be financial terms, whether it be the terms of what you're doing, your gig, anything like that. And every day, hey, can I call you? Hey, can I call you? And I'm like, hey, man, listen, don't have a lot of time. I can't really do that. But I talk to him on the phone anyway. Kept following up with that about the phone, about the phone. After we had hired him, I was like, "Okay, not doing it." And I was like, "Listen, anything that I do like this with with a big time acquisition, I got to clear with Jimmy Van." And I mentioned that several times. And you, you're aware who Jimmy Van is, yeah? Yeah. He said, "Why does it feel like I'm always?" Uh, <laughs> hearing about this Jimmy guy, like he's some uh, big operator in the shadows. And I was like, okay, well, first off, you're fired because you're sitting there acting like he's hiding. He is on the show every Wednesday on our flagship program for the brand that you got hired for and you didn't care enough to just click one time. And the guy, the guy said, well, before I fired him, he said, let's be real. You all don't have anybody out there doing what I'm going to do, and you all will be hurting without me. So one of the very few people that I fired because of that, because it was very clear to me that he had no respect for how we did things. I just didn't have the time at that point to, to pour into it. He didn't care enough to do his research on who he was working for, and he had that opinion that was too high of himself. Three days later, we hired James Lynch, who is, is the best at what he does. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. He's at the score, but he is still the best at what he does. James Lynch is, in my opinion, if not the best MMA interviewer, one of the best. So for this guy to say, Oh, you you don't have anybody that's gonna do what I'm gonna do, yeah we did. We had James Freaking Lynch and James Lynch broke more wrestling stories than ninety-five percent of people who cover pro wrestling and he doesn't even watch it.
1: It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. He's um actually I'm recording with James Lynch on Monday. <laughs> he's
0: he's phenomenal.
1: He's, he's a super cool dude as well. He's but he's yeah, you're right. His um I he um like I'm with MMA I'm a bit sort of dipping in and out I was really into it when like McGregor was at his peak because he's like an Irish you know it's like the British connection sort of thing and then I've sort of I still watch all you know I watch it all and I watch the post shows you do but I've sort of eased off a little from watching it yeah. but I always always watch his interviews James Lynch because I just found them compelling and interesting to watch Because they weren't just the same questions churned out that everybody asks. It was, you know, some different stuff. And that's what I like. Him asking asking
0: about pro wrestling got us so many stories from those fighters.
1: Yeah, and it's because no one else asks. No one else asks asks those questions.
0: I talked to Lyoto Machida last week. I, I scoured the web trying to find it. I couldn't find one person... Asking him about the fact that he lived with Shinsuke Nakamura and Daniel Bryan. So I did, and he was he was stoked to talk about it. He was excited. He was on this, this Bellator phone media tour being asked the same questions about his weight and Chael Sonnen. And here I am asking him about when he trained at the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo. And Simon Inoki and Antonio Inoki slapping him. And Daniel Bryan and Nakamura and about the competitive nature that he and Nakamura had. And he he loved it. Sometimes you just got to step out. You got to try to be different. And, uh, that that's something that I love that James Lynch did.
1: Absolutely. And you're right. I can't believe no one asked uh, Machida that. What I can't believe no one asked him those questions. But there you go. I suppose not everyone's uh, as into the wrestling. Um, so we had one question from a Twitter follower who's actually a friend of mine, but, um, before I asked that, I was going to say, um, talk to me about Jason Kincaid's writing, because oh, he is a special, special writer. I read his stuff, and I've got, I have to stop what I'm doing, and I have to sit and read it. And that's well, an I've, incredible talent.
0: I've got a couple that are in the can right now. Like Because of his schedule, sometimes we'll get no articles for four months, and then sometimes we'll get like six in a week. And I've got two in the can right now that I'm going to put out uh, eventually, but we've got all these interviews right now. Uh, a friend named John Morehouse connected me with him, and he was like, hey, would you like Jason Kincaid to write? And at the time, we had a thing called the Pro Series. Deanna Perazzo wrote for it. Uh, I was going to have, I think maybe Matt and uh, Bob Holly was going to write for it. Brodus Clay was going to write for it. And EC3 was going to write for it. But... Literally, only Deanna ended up contributing, and she did it on a volunteer basis. But with Jason, it was something that I was like, all right, it'll supplement his income. We'll have, a, we'll have. at the time, it was Deanna, a female wrestler, EC3, a mainstream wrestler, and then I wanted a male indie wrestler too. I was not prepared for the level of detail and storytelling in which he had. And Jason Kincaid one day is going to write a book. He could probably write a novel if he wanted to. He is one of the most talented and gifted writers I've ever had the pleasure of of editing. He is amazing and just a great dude too. Like the just the level of recollection that he has is something that is very difficult to replicate or even emulate. And he is just amazing. He's amazing. I, everybody, just type in Jason Kincaid Fightful in Google. His author page will come up, and you're gonna have a ton of content to read evergreen stories that do not get old that is jason kincaid
1: oh absolutely i completely agree and uh, like i say every time i see that story on fightful select i stop what i'm doing or i find time and i gotta read it because it just it just sucks you in every time and uh, so yeah i highly highly recommend it jason kincaid fightful.com um So, Johnny Wishbone on Twitter asks, (laughs) uh, does SRS ever have a day off?
0: Yeah, I would say I didn't used to. Between 2014 and 2016, my wedding, I didn't have a single day off. So, all I worked every single day of 2015. I had two days off in 2016. That was the day before my wedding and my wedding. I had those two days off. 2017 I think I had a handful like 3 or 4 maybe days off that has changed now I get at least a couple off a month and the thing is if I had my if I had everything constructed I don't think that Jimmy would care if I had 15 or 16 days off in a month it's not like him ru- like cracking this whip it's just the amount of dedication that I have to have uh, because of Andrew and Jeremy, I feel comfortable leaving my site for a day at a time and knowing that things won't be missed or things won't fall to hell. Uh, I can trust their judgment because they are in sync with what what my ideologies are, by and large, with wrestling media. I can do that. So nowadays I get probably get five or six days off um, on a good month, five or six days off, um, or at least days where I only have to do a couple hours of work. But, I mean, the thing is, like, just because I'm not writing stories, I got to get up. I got to check my email. I got to reach out to advertisers and sponsors. I got to make sure that they're happy. I immediately go check our numbers, put together stuff like that. I have to control our invoices. I have to audit invoices. Like, all these people that I'm that we're paying, I got to make sure that we're getting our money's worth out of them. I go through and do that. I got to tag and set up all the videos. I got to set up interviews, edit all those Every single thing that is on our YouTube channels, I edit that personally. So there's just so much. And then I'm editing 50, 50 wrestling and MMA stories a day. There's just so much stuff that goes into to all this. And the fact that we are three sites in one and a podcasting site and a premiere site. So we're really five sites in one. It's, it's a lot of work. But, man, like, and I, I've thought about it before. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should quit because there are times I don't quite like the, the, the negative attention. It's like maybe I could work at a factory or something, and I, I would, I'm sure I'd be fine. I'm sure I'd like working at a factory, but I would come right home, and I would do the same exact thing I'm doing now. So why don't I just do it full time? And that, that's what I went with it. But, yeah. yeah, I'm very fortunate to have a very caring wife who understands and knows it's my passion too.
1: Yeah. My, um, my mother always said to me when I was little that uh, if you can find a job or a career that you genuinely enjoy doing, yeah. then you, know, you are very lucky because so many people around the world, they've got a job that they just they don't really like. They have to do it just to you know, pay the bills, pay the rent, whatever it may be. So if you can find something that you can, you know, pay the bills and do all that sort of stuff, which you genuinely are passionate about and enjoy. That's how
0: my my goal in life was to find something or my goal professionally. I was like, you know what, if I could find something that I love to do and make like 500 bucks a week doing it, I would be thrilled. And fortunately, I I have been very successful in that in that goal, at the very least. Indeed, you
1: have. and. But like you say, it's not, um, you wouldn't have been able to be as successful as you've, as it's turned out, if you weren't sure no days off roster.
0: Yeah. And, and a, a lot of people, um, they, they wonder like, oh, how can you make it feasible and stuff? Wrestling media. I live in the third cheapest state in the country too. That doesn't help. it doesn't hurt either. So, I mean, it, it goes, it goes a long way and I couldn't be happier. Like I'm, I have a nice life, and fortunately, I've we've built something from the ground up in Fightful that people just love to—they love to visit, and they care. The fact that somebody even cares what I have to say after a Monday Night Raw—that's amazing to me. That still boggles my mind.
1: Yeah, and this—it is—it's awesome, and that it, though, it's like I, because I followed Fightful from the very, very beginning. I remember from when you first announced it on. Like your your Twitter, you said, I'm leaving Wrestling Inc. to go to fight for, you know, whatever the word it was. And ever since then, I followed it. And to watch it grow organically, you feel like, you know, I feel sort of loyal to it and and passionate about it. And I didn't even work there. So it's like, you know, it's just one of those things, isn't it?
0: yeah, Yeah, I think I remember you reaching out to me. I think it was like July of 2016 or something like that. And it, like you were one of the first people that were there around uh, checking it out and and all that, and I'm like, man, I look at Wrestling Observer and how long they've been around. They have been around just for decades and decades and decades. And gosh, I, I don't, I don't want to. I think it, I think it was started in like '82 or '83. Some I'm like imagine we're we're barely three years in, and it's like imagine. Being a fan of Observer like in 86, 87, like I hope that's where we are in like 30 years. I hope that we are the thing that everybody goes to. That's that's what I'm hoping.
1: Yeah, I think and I think because of all the things we've talked about, I think there's a very good chance, you know, that that's gonna happen. Okay. So let's finish off. Let's get okay. into it. WWE Creative. Ugh. Oh my god.
0: So, oh, is it as
1: simple? Is it as simple as Vince McMahon out, Triple H in?
0: Maybe. Uh, I've spoken to people who don't think it would be that good. That they say that Triple H has his NXT kids when it's convenient, but they aren't convinced that it would be open and shut. But Vince McMahon has to go. That is the only way, the only way. So
1: in, uh, in one of the Fightful Q&A shows last year, I asked you, would uh, Triple H and the board ever step in to remove Vince from his creative position, um, as they must realize that a 74-year-old isn't the best judge of what fans want in 2019? Um, and I think your answer was something along the lines of, you know, they wouldn't. And they probably wouldn't even try it just because of the, you know, the lay of the land and how much power he's got in terms of, you know, he owns the company, this, that and the other. But do you think, like, obviously they're hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging viewers at the moment. Yeah. If AEW starts off in the fall and they pop a huge, you know, huge ratings in the first month or so consistently, you know, every week have good ratings for a few weeks. That's that's going to be a big problem for the, the WWE.
0: I think if if AEW pops up and does 1.5 million their first day, that's something to be concerned about. I mean, WWE SmackDown was below two million this week. So if AEW shows up with n- nothing and they do 1.5, that'd be insane. Now, am I am I predicting that they will? No, but if crazier things have happened in this world. So if they do that, WWE's got to be like, oh crap. Oh crap. So man, it is just, man. When you look at it,
1: um, the being the elite guys, everything they've touched has turned to gold. So if you told me I've got a time machine and I've come back from the fall and they had 1.5 million viewers for the first three shows or whatever, I'd believe you. It wouldn't take yeah. much, you know. It wouldn't take much to convince me. They've shown that they can tell long-term stories. They've shown that they can build matches in the short term if they haven't got much time. Um, they haven't missed many steps over the last couple of years. Um, and what I think, what WWE don't want is, you know, obviously you've got the re- rumors about the revival and Sasha Banks and Moxley's gone is you don't want viewers to start jumping ship as well. Yeah, Because um, I was surprised. Um, so in the UK, in the Monday Night Wars, it was quite easy to get, for me, it was quite easy to watch WCW. It was on terrestrial TV. But Sky, uh, Raw was on Sky, which you had to pay for. Um, so I had a friend tape it. I watched both. But what I've learned over the years is there was a large number of people who were one or the other particularly in sort of North America, they were WCW or they were WWE. Um, so yeah, I just think, and the way AEW fans on Twitter sometimes, there is this divide almost in some people. Uh, See, so WWE need to be on their toes, I feel, to yeah. uh, make sure that they, those, fa- those viewers they're losing don't go straight to AEW.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's the thing you got to worry about. I mean, John Moxley's the hottest thing in wrestling right now, and I mentioned this on the <laughs> on the list. in your boy, uh, WWE has like 44 million subscribers or whatever, or not subscribers, yeah, subscribers on YouTube, and their top-rated video didn't even sniff Moxley's uh, YouTube video. They got 3.3 million on New Japan's YouTube where they have 247,000 subscribers. So we're talking about less than half of a percent of the number of subscribers. But John Moxley, following a squash match, did more numbers than anything on SmackDown did, on, uh, at least digitally. And that, that is a nice gauge of seeing what people globally are going out of their way to, to witness. That says something. I think it says something.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think so. (laughs) This guy uh, messaged me on Facebook the other day, and he had the balls to say to me (laughs) that I shouldn't criticize Vince McMahon and his creative storytelling because of everything he's done for wrestling. He still writes long, he still writes good long term stories, and he pointed out. To Becky Lynch, Seth versus Brock, and Daniel Bryan as
0: examples. <laughs> Beck. Okay. Becky Lynch was an accident. Yep. They tried That's to Daniel turn Bryan. heel. Daniel Bryan, in his own book, said that that was a running accident all the way up until January. Kofi Kingston, that has been a good story, but it wasn't one that they crafted. It's one that they fell into, but they have crafted a good one around that. But my God, they wanted Becky Lynch to be healed. They pivoted accordingly, but then they wanted to blow it off at Survivor Series. There were literally a series of events that led to that happening, and they still almost screwed it up. They they had her lose clean at Royal Rumble, then had her backdoor her way into the match. Jesus.
1: They cooled it right down though, didn't they? They cooled. Yeah they all rested, it was like piping hot, and then they kind of like were trying to do the will she will will she won't she type thing with Becky, where will she be in the match? Won't she be in the match? And people didn't want to see that; they wanted to see Becky Lynch raise hell, basically. Um, so some of the examples that I gave this guy, uh, I said they they had Bailey, who was the female John Cena. All they had to do was leave her to be Bailey. They didn't have to do anything. They just overthought it. And she's she's getting a little bit of steam back now, but they completely they wasted eighteen months of her career and Sasha Banks' career yeah. doing jack shit. And it they was didn't do anything. unexplainable.
0: No major matches. Yeah. They they had the they, they sat on the, the tag Title situation—it was weird, man. So weird. Yeah.
1: And they stopped their feud, didn't they? And they, they didn't do the like you say. They kept the tag team titles, even though they had them ready made and ready to go. They didn't use them. Um, and then I, you know, I, I rattled off a load of people like EC3 and the Good Brothers and Nakamura and Rusev Day, and you know, and the fact they, that they, they brought Daniel Bryan back from a career-ending injury. He's the most popular person they've had in the last 10 years with everyone, and they still
0: fucked it up. Yeah, uh, they will sign people just to hurt other people, and that's weird to me. I don't know why you would sign someone and waste the money just to hurt somebody else.
1: Indeed, Uh, right. So thanks uh, so much for joining me, Sean. I do really appreciate it. I was going to ask you about Firefly Funhouse, but we'll save that for uh, next time because <laughs> I'm well aware that you are a busy, busy guy. Uh, tell the people where they can find you on the Twitter
0: machine. At Sean Ross Sapp, That's S-E-A-N Ross Sapp. And, of course, always Fightful.com. I am there every single day.
1: Yep, you can keep up to date on my shows uh, on at AceCast underscore Nation on Twitter. Follow, like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, hit the bell. Uh, Subscribe to Fightful on YouTube also. And uh, if you go to Fightful Select, there's loads of good shit there. And (laughs) there's also, I think, three or four shows with me on. Uh, Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Thank you guys for watching. And uh, we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.